WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's 9 o'clock and time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and thanks for being with us today. We really appreciate your taking the time to listen to the show, and we want to invite you to stay with us for the rest of the hour. This is a live call-in show, and uh, I'll be giving you the numbers how to reach us here in just a moment. This show, We Are Just Christians, is about going back to the Bible and finding out how to be just Christians like they were in the first century. And I want to invite not only those who are presently religious or consider themselves Christians, but I want—I would love to invite and, and, uh, and interact with those who are not believers, those who are skeptical of Christianity or critical of it, to call the show and interact with the show. We invite you to listen, and we want you to become just a Christian because we think that's the way things ought to be, and that's the best course for humanity going forward at this point. So that's what We Are Just Christians is about. We talk about a lot of different topics and subjects, some in the Bible, some from the culture as it intersects with the Bible, and sometimes just other general questions, so we'd invite your participation. You can reach We Are Just Christians uh, here live in in Port St. Lucie at 772-340-1590. is the call-in number. And uh, Greg there at the station will patch it through to us. We can have a conversation. Hope you'll stay on the line if you can. So we can maybe ask a follow-up question or you can ask a follow-up question. We'd like to have a conversation. This show is not about confrontation or even though we may disagree, it's not about embarrassing anyone or, uh, you know, creating some kind of artificial excitement. It's about learning and having a conversation and thinking together. So we'd invite your participation. You don't have to have any fear about that. We're going to give you the last word on whatever subject we talk about. 772-340-1590 is how you reach us by phone. If you'd like to text us, you can do that this morning, and we'll try to respond to those texts live on the air if we can. It's possible. You can reach us. There's two text numbers, one for me, Mike Schmidt, and one for Gary Jones. How are you doing, Gary, by the way? Well, I'm here today, Mike. <laughs> I don't think Gary's feeling top of the line today. He's been having some some health issues, but uh, he's here, and we really appreciate that. But uh, you can reach me by text at 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. And you can reach Gary. I just gave you the wrong numbers. <laughs> Sorry, I gave you the call-in number again. I usually do it the other way around. The, the text number for Mike is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. And uh, the number for Gary Jones is 772-260-6220, 772-260-6220. You know, it's kind of amazing uh, thinking about it. When you do it so long as I have public speaking and things like that, Gary, you don't realize that your brain is ahead of your mouth and you don't always actually hear what you're saying because you think it and then you're supposed to say it. And so sometimes you're thinking one thing, but your mouth is saying something a little bit different. Well, and that, so that, that it happens fairly quite often. Well, that's the trouble with a lot of us is our brain is, uh, our mouth is ahead of our brain sometimes. Yeah. I think in this case, it's my mouth is behind my brain. I'm not hearing what I'm, I'm not paying attention because I'm trying to think about two or three things uh, at the same time. And, uh, you know, it's different. I did a radio show in another city up north for, for a few years, and it was not live. It was real-to-real tape recorder, so I'm 
but I wanted to make it more like a live show like this and talk like I wasn't, so I wouldn't just, you know, give a dull lecture. And so I'm sitting in a small soundproof room. The tape recorder is probably 18 or 24 inches from my face going around, and there's no one there. And so uh, you're, you're not quite as distracted as you are here. I'm looking at Gary. We've got our computer stuff in the room. On my computer screen are four or five windows open showing various things, and there's a tape. And there's a, a, a audio mixer and blah, blah, blah. got notes and stuff like that. And so my brain is like a squirrel in here, you know, going all over the place. Anyway, we're glad that you're with us. Hope you'll give us a call, 772-340-1590. Now, um, and we'll give you some other information, how to get a hold of us, how, how to listen to this show uh, off the air or, or listen live in other ways here in a little while. But right now, let's get started on something. We had a question that came in uh, a few weeks back. We've taken back three questions out of this email that we got. And one of the questions, comments made in the email was that they would like to see us spend a little time talking about how someone could find this New Testament church or what, you know, I would phrase it. What are you looking for when you're looking to find a New Testament church, not just one that's some historic denomination or one that's a tradition because your grandparents went there. But when you're trying to find what's really there that came has roots in the Bible, how would you find that? What would it look like? And I can tell you off the top of my head that you're not going to find that by looking in the phone book particularly, or sometimes you can't find it by looking on a sign, and you're not going to find it just by asking people to raise their hands and get a majority vote of what churches they like. You're not going to find it by trying to search for who has the best band and the best light show or the most kids' activities. That's not how you find the New Testament church. You might like all those things, but that doesn't equate with what does the Bible say the church is supposed to be like, what's it supposed to teach, what are the character, how do you become a member of that church uh, as, a, as the body of Christ? Where are you going to find those answers, Gary, do you think? Well, you know, <laughs> when I was in school, and one of the one of the troubles I had mostly in uh, going to a very small college in Arkansas in a, in engineering was they didn't have a lot of engineering courses every quarter or every semester, and so there were certain courses that required prerequisites. Yeah. And if you didn't have the prerequisite, and that course came up, you couldn't take the course, and you had. To Basically, if you were out of sync with the way they ordered things, it was it was difficult. It cost you a lot of time. And sometimes that really hurt people that had been to another school because yeah. they hadn't had that yet or, you know, they were on the same course. Yeah, I lost about 10 hours of analytic geometry and calculus that I had to take over again when I went to a Louisiana school to finish up my degree. Right. But anyway, what I was going to say is, Mike, there is kind of a prerequisite for recognizing the church. And... Uh, try this on, but I think the prerequisite for recognizing the church is knowing what is in the Word of God. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. First of all, you have to have be willing to say, I'm going to go to the Bible and I'm going to find out what uh, the Bible says about the church and about becoming a Christian, and that's the what I'm looking for. And we have people do that from time to time. Most people simply decide what they want, what they like in their own mind, and then they go find that. And and listen, there are plenty of churches that are seeker churches, as it were, that are more than happy to just kind of cater to people's preferences and what they want, and they're not going to really, in the long run, take you back 
to the Bible. Now, we're certainly not one of those kind of churches here at Savona Boulevard. And I, you know, not going to try to be. That's just the way it's going to be. It's that way. It's not not the way it is because that's not what we've decided is the right thing to do. And it's not about having getting numbers or pleasing people. It's about once again, what does the Bible say we ought to be like? And that's what you're getting at, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. It, it, it revolves around what the uh, what the Bible says. Now that brings us back to a passage that I've often quoted. John twelve forty eight. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That was Jesus' right. own words. And that's the only place we're going to be able to go to find what we need to find out. And, of course, look, in, in real life, oh, the, the problem is almost every church will tell you if you were to ask, oh, yes, we're following the Bible. That's our main mission. You go read their read their little mission statements and you read their creed books. And most of the Protestant churches will say, yes, we're going to put the word of God first. Uh, Catholic catechism is about putting the church first and the church authorities first and so forth. Of course, and they're going to tell you, well, we do this because the Holy Spirit's inspired the Pope and he and all the cardinals and so forth. You know, there's this chain, but everybody says that, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean it translates to, to that in real life because in the end they go back to their catechisms, their creeds and the, and the and the synods and the councils and all that, and that's where they find their authority, if they even believe in authority for what they do. And there's for you know there's a one of these Presbyterian guys I read, he now calls his most of his church Lesbaterians because huh. of how they've changed what they once believed in, you know, as a as a group. Well, one, one and, of the, and there's no foundation in the scriptures for that is probably his point. One of the things you said key there is things have changed. Once they start teaching you that things have changed from what's in the Bible, you know you're going off in the wrong direction. Well, yes, and um, you can. Well, I got a quote. I'll look up something here in just a moment. By the way, someone texted in and asked if the show is live today. I don't know what's going out over the air, but there is a Skype problem, so. It might sound different because Gary and I are sitting here holding a cell phone oh, between us. Right. <laughs> waiting for Skype to the state radio station to get the Skype problem figured out. Hopefully they can. They're working on it as we speak. So if it sounds a little bit hollow, we're not in a fishbowl or a stock tank. Uh, Gary and I are sharing we're, a cell phone connection. We're not out in the yard. We are in our regular yes, place. But, but it's that's just the not. best we can do this morning, and it kind of came up at the last minute. So. That's how it works. But I appreciate you. I hope we're live. I hope we're, we are live if this is going out onto the air, and I believe it is. So, in any event. Well, the thing I was going to say is, is Hebrews 11, and beginning in verse 5, I believe, or actually verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, one of the things that that I keep trying to emphasize, and I believe Mike does, I believe you do too, Mike, is that it's a personal responsibility. It's not something that you can leave to someone else. Right. Um, you know, you you go to a hospital and you may need surgery and you leave that to the trained person, but, but this is something that you personally are going to stand before God. That's something you should not be leaving to someone else. Right you're going to have to answer for the things that you do. Now, that is not a politically correct statement in our society today. 
responsibility is not taken, but the Bible does teach that the responsibility ultimately for our actions will be ours. And that's another one of those things that, you know, if, if you start talking about, we could we could key into. Well, I got a I've got a statement here it comes from a standard standard manual for Baptist churches. Might illustrate what you're saying here. Uh, now, this is an older manual to how to basically how to start and run a Baptist church. Uh, and, of course, there's about 25 different varieties. And so that's part of it. And, I, and you know, there's a specific subject under consideration. But I think this illustrates the point that we're making very well about churches. You can, if you go read what churches say about themselves, and I'm sure these Baptist churches are exactly the same way, you're, you're going to say, well, they believe that, we should follow the Bible and see an errant word of God and all that. And I'm all good with that. And that's, that's right. But listen to this statement uh, from the Standard Manual for Baptist Churches, Edward T. Hiscox. It is most likely that in the apostolic age, when there was but one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, he's quoting Ephesians 4, and no differing denominations existed, that the baptism of a convert by that very act constituted him a member of the church and at once endowed him with all the rights and privileges of full membership. So he's saying, back in the beginning, in the apostolic age, there weren't any of these denominations, and baptism was the door, in that sense he says it, that baptism was the door into the church. That's what he says. And, there, and that's the way it was in the first century. And then you get this. But now it is different. And there is there, there, the key. There it is. Now it's different. And while churches are desirous of receiving members, they are wary and cautious that they do not receive unworthy persons. The churches, therefore, have candidates come before them, make their statements, give their experience, and then their reception is decided on by a vote of the members. Now, I would ask how that was changed from something like 1 Peter 3 and verse 20, where it starts out, who formerly were disobedient when once in the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth yeah. of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, where in the scripture was that changed? And and I can't find any place where it was changed. No, and it's not, but it was, he said, that's what he's saying here. You know, it was one, one way in the... In the first age when there were no differing denominations. Now, that's what this show is getting at. We're trying to get back and do the things like they did at that time in the first century when there weren't any different denominations. It was the church was uh, undenominational in that sense. We're trying to go back to that. It, it may seem impossible, but it's not. But that's the only source of unity, the only place we can find unity. But now everybody wants to defend their own denomination, and so now the Baptist church has its own way of deciding who's a member that are is not found in the Bible. That's the key. The way of determining, we can t talk to you about who can be a member of this church, who we would accept and who we think the Lord would accept. And we're going to do that based upon what the scriptures say about a person's belief and conduct. But they're having, they use an extra biblical standard, and this is a common thing. And I'm not picking on the Baptist church. I'm just saying this is a, this is just one. Every church has the, every denomination, I should say, has these creeds or manuals, whatever they want to call them, that they have. You members, you people that are listening that are members of these churches and denominations, 
You've probably never seen one, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. I've got a whole briefcase full of them. And, and so basically, collect, and, and they're all out there, and they all say things different than the Bible. Basically, uh, I think one of them, one of them used to say, "Faith only is the most uh, uh, comforting doctrine." Yes, the Methodist discipline says that that uh, justification by faith only is a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. Yet James chapter two says just it's the opposite. Not the same. It's not true. That's right. So, uh, so here's where we, I come into the problem. Uh, and I go back to Ephesians 4, which we quoted earlier. I think it's Ephesians 4 and verses 4 and 5. In 5 he says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now when did that change? When did God authorize that to change? Because the Methodist faith is not the same as the Baptist faith, is not the same as the Lutheran faith, is not the same as uh, the Presbyterian faith, and, and the Presbyterian faith seems to be you know, straying off even further, like the guy said. So, wh- how do we get back to one? The only way to get back to one faith that I can see, Mike, is Scripture. Right. Well, you take some, another area. I just happen to have this in front of me here, Gary. Another area where churches go off the track is coming up here in a week or so. I've um, I did a sermon a couple of weeks ago on um, what about Easter. Didn't get a good recording of it, so I'm going to have to redo that one. But if you, I'm, I'll be able to. I'll tell you about that recording. And you can listen to it if you want to. But one of the well, a couple of quotes that I put ahead in this sermon were uh, from different historical documents. Here, here is uh, A. H. Uh, Philip Schaff, one of the most famous historians of church history that ever, there ever was. His bought his huge work on the history of the Christian church is is the monumental classic in church history. He says, for example, the church year, that is having all these different holidays, right. was developed after the precedent of the Old Testament with no positive direction from Christ or the apostles. The New Testament contains no certain traces of annual festivals. There's just nothing in the New Testament, but church is still developing. And then you have him, uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica says about this, there is no indication of the observance of the Easter festival in the New Testament or in the writings of the apostolic fathers. Later church fathers, so to speak, did, but not the apostolic fathers. The sanctity of special times was an, was an idea that was absent from the minds of the first Christians. Does that bother people today when they celebrate Easter? It doesn't bother them all that it's not found in the New Testament or that even in the first century and the apostolic writers once close to them didn't do this. Or you have this statement by A.H. Newman, who was a, a Baptist uh, church historian, a manual of church history, A.H. Newman. Oh, no, wait, I think he, he might be Catholic. Uh, now I'm having a brain lock here, Gary. But he's very well known, and you can look up A.H. Newman. Here's what he says. It is admitted by all historians that the church did not win popularity and recognition without first undergoing momentous internal changes. In life, in doctrine, in church organization, and worship, the churches of 313 A.D. were very different from the churches of 100 A.D. So here you go, the time of the apostles, 100 A.D., when the last apostle died, right around that time. He said the churches were one way then, and by the time you get to 313, 200 years later, they are very different in doctrine, church organization, and worship, and in life, and all that happens so that the churches could win popularity and recognition. 
Now, what in the world do you think has gone on now for another 2,000 years after that, or 1,800 years, however many it is, since 313? That's what happened early on. Church historians know this, that as soon as the apostles died off, people stopped depending on what they were saying and writing and began to insert what they wanted to do and what they preferred, and it made them made the churches more popular with the general population and society. And this is just the way it's been for all this time. This show is about going back to that first century, whether it's popular or not, and finding out what the New Testament says about life, doctrine, church organization, and worship. And if you've listened to the show, you hear that. Now, now, that doesn't mean we're right about everything that we say, and we welcome your comments on this. But I believe that that's the right idea about this subject, how to do this. Uh, that's the right idea. But in deciding what, how we live our lives and what we do, as opposed to some creed developed by men, God is going to judge us on what is in the Scripture. And I think that's one of the things that you and I both came to the conclusion that this show should look to is what is in the Scripture, which is what we keep saying. We keep coming back to that word that Jesus spoke is going to be what judges us in the last day. Yeah. And, and we have to go back to that. Exactly. Now, is that right? That, that's exactly right. Each individual is going to stand before God. I, I forget the passage, but he says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And we're all going to be... Yeah, and we're all going to be brought and asked to give account of the deeds done in the flesh. Now, if you believe that, and that's what the Bible says, then you should be concerned about what Jesus says and not what man says. I keep thinking back to Peter and the apostles when they were brought before the Sanhedrin and told not to teach. And they said, basically, should we obey man or God? You be the judge. And so... Should we follow man's guidance or God's guidance? And God's guidance is found in the Scripture. So that's where I'm coming from. Right. Well, the passage you're referring to, one of them there, Gary, is Philippians chapter 2, where you can start at verse 5, but go down, go down to verse 9, that God, after he raised up Christ from the dead, highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. And then verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Christ Jesus is the Lord for the glory of God the Father. That's why he was raised up. And I believe that even though you know you can say, well, this passage doesn't explicitly say that, I think the implication is there's coming a time, whether you do it voluntarily or not, I mean, in the sense of you beforehand, that all tongues and knees will bow and confess Jesus Christ. Whether well, it's today when it makes a difference or whether it's in the judgment day when it's too late. Right. You're, you're going to come to believe. Even the demons believe and tremble. They just don't do anything about it, James says. And so, it, it Basically, what that tells me, Mike, is no one is going to escape. Right. No one is going to escape that judgment. And he mentions what? He says those in heaven, those on the earth, or those below the earth. What that's, what that's telling you is no one will escape this judgment. Uh, there are a, now the other verse you mentioned. Which one was it? You said that uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, top of the tip of my tongue that uh, we would all give we account. would all give account of the deeds done in the flesh. Yes, I, I don't. I'm sorry, Mike. I just don't have those references uh, off the top. Of yes, my head. and that's that is found. Give me just a second. I'll make sure that I'm right about this. I think it's in First uh, First Corinthians. Hmm. 
Why can't I find it either here this morning? Um, well, give me just a second, folks. I'm having a little brain lock, too. <laughs> and that's the problem um, with, a, with a live show. All of a sudden, you're, you're not uh, thinking as you, as you should. But um, I'm looking in the wrong. You know my problem, Gary, with some of these things? I told you this before. My, um, How about Romans 8? Uh, that's not what I think. Uh, Romans 3. I get... No, it's not the right ones. I can do, I can do partial word play, phrase searches. And, uh, and but my I'm, problem if is... I'm not, I, if I'm my, not remembering exactly the words in the translation, it won't pop up. My, my problem is that I learned and memorized things when I was a boy, in the King James Version. Yes. And that's what's there. And then I've spent 25 or 30 years preaching from the American 1901 American Standard Version. And then uh, after that, I'm, uh, using, I'm using the new King James now. And so it's, uh, everything is fouled up. And I just, I'm just having a, a, a lock on. I thought it was in 2 Corinthians. But uh, I'm not looking up the, the right, uh, right phrase here. But we're going to find it. I'm just going to persist. This is terrible radio, but I'm just going <laughs> to persist until I find what I want to find here. Uh, and I got to. It's going to bug me if I don't do this right now. It's going to bug me. Well, I, I did the, the rest of the day. I, I don't think I imagined that passage. I can't. Uh, the deep weather. Uh, the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or evil, uh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go search right where I think it is in this text. I've, and the other problem is, I'm, I'm making excuses, which is, you know, my favorite thing to do sometimes. But uh, I'm gonna go search where it is. I'm using a whole new Bible program, so. And I think, you know, Gary, looking back on it, I'm thinking that some of the, uh, some of the problem that we have is that I have. Is because I've been using these uh, computer programs for a while, and um, they make it too. They easy. make it, yeah. They make it easy for you to just look stuff up, and then you can't really find what you're looking for, and therefore, and now, so my, you know, when I was younger and I was preaching, I could flip around these. Uh, I could flip around in these uh, books all while I was talking and never miss a beat because I was used to doing it th that way. And now I just can't. Uh, quite. 2 Corinthians 5. I believe. I'm, sit, I'm sitting here rock looking right at 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that 10, each one it? may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I was sitting right there looking at 2 Corinthians 5 where I thought it was. Yeah, there but see, I was picking the yeah. wrong keywords. Mm -hmm. that, and when you put those keywords in combination, if you're in the wrong translation. I could have quoted the whole verse for you, but I was where it was. That was the whole problem. That's what happened. So, that's by the 2 way, Corinthians if, 5 and 10. If, if you're listening and you say, well, these guys don't even know what they're talking about. Well, sometimes we know what we're talking about. Sometimes we may mess up like this, but... The beauty of being a Christian in the 21st century is you have this stuff at your disposal. It may keep you from memorizing it like you should if you if you you know don't pay attention, but you can find it. It's then there, and then you can you can then research it and look at it. 
And the other side to remember is not everybody can remember everything. You need to, but here's the problem. If you just go on churning these phrases back in your head and never go look them up again, that's why I wanted to look it up. Yes. You'll, it'll get distorted and convoluted and you want to remember where it really is. So you need to go back when you find Hebrews is very high Christology. Christology <laughs> is the study of the nature of Christ. I, well, there's a lot of theory about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, I've come and I always end up my head says Paul, but of course I don't think that's probably right. It could be. We just don't know. Well, for sure, I, but I, 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 some I people say it's Barnabas. We don't know. We don't know whether it was. I can't say it was Paul, and I can't say it was not Paul. No, I can't. That's what I'm saying. I, some people say it was a Barnabas, is what I've heard in recent years. There are some or things Paulus. I don't know about that either. There are some things in it that strike me as being of Paul, but, you know, that's not proof of who wrote it. Right. And so, um, now going back to this issue about that the first century Christians thought that Jesus was going to return any minute, and some even sold him the thing. And I, I point out, I think that that's, uh, I, I think that was a mistake that Paul tried to correct. And he, he says, well, uh, even Paul thought it was soon, so much that he told people not to marry. But I, if you're referring there to 1 Corinthians chapter about 7, distress, he's talking about a particular period of persecution that we believe was going on to the Corinthians and to warn them not to make major changes in their life because of this persecution. I don't uh, think that was because of the second coming it's right. in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 particularly. And so, in any event, um, there, there's a, there's this, there, there's always a gap between, some, at some point, always, there's a gap at times between what people thought think about what the Bible said or these texts said at times and what actually was being said by the people that wrote them. Sometimes there was either misunderstanding. And and you can't just say, well, Christians thought this or Christians thought that because there was a lot of variation in in that. It's the point I always make about Old Testament. People all, all the time are going up, well, what did the Jews in the Old Testament do? Well, I'll tell you what the Jews in the Old Testament did. Pretty much whatever they wanted what to do. do. Right. Just like everybody did today. There, there were very few that were faithful. And there were very few periods of time in Israel's history when they kept the law. Very few. It's it's astounding how little they kept the law and, and how few of the people probably obeyed it for very long at all. But that doesn't, we're not worried about that as much as we are, what does the text say that they should have done? So I can't sit here and tell you the early Christians did everything right this way or that way. They're not my, they're only an example when the Bible approves of their behavior which it does sometimes, it disapproves of the behavior in other times. I have to go by what the text says I should be doing and thinking and believing. And there's not, some, not so much what early Christians did or what historians say or anything like that. And, and the symbolism there, in, in basically when they didn't do what he said, there's some symbolism for what's waiting us if we don't do what God says. Right. Uh, he said he was going to take them out of the land. He said he was going to disperse them. He said he was going to destroy them. He said he was going to take them into slavery. All of these bad things came about. Why? Because they didn't keep his word. He said if they did keep his word, what would happen? They would prosper. They right. would be kept in their land. Right. They would abide forever. And basically, then they didn't, so then things happened. I keep coming back to this idea, Mike. We do not teach enough 
about what the Bible says about judgment. Yeah, probably not. It's just something people don't want to hear about, of course. Because it's it's not popular. It's not something people want to hear about. But and and even if there are people who do not specifically believe in certain doctrines or what the Bible says in certain parts, that aspect of judgment has a benefit on society. If you believe that you're going to be brought to justice at some point, there are things that you're not going to do. I mean, I think it has an effect on our crime rate. And as, if it as, doesn't, as, then you really got to get rid of those people. Yes. People will say, well, capital punishment doesn't deter some murderers. Well, then you really need to execute yes. them because they're very dangerous then. Yes. If the thought of being killed yourself won't stop you, you are extremely dangerous. And I think that's what the Bible was talking about sometimes about it's seemingly severe capital punishment laws, which they weren't really, but they seem to be. But it's because back then they didn't have courts and jails and police forces and all that that we do to control yes. crime. And 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 he even if modern people believed, for example, that these violent behaviors are genetically determined, they didn't have a way of dealing with that for sure. We don't really, but they did for sure didn't. And God's solution was get rid of that person, execute them if they consistently do these things. That, and take people's lives, get them out of your society. And, if it's and he gives two reasons. So that all Israel may fear it, it is a deterrent, right. and so that you may remove this wicked one from among yourselves. There's two reasons for capital punishment given in the Old Testament. And basically, if it is genetic, then you want it out of the you gene do. pool. So, you know, if the modern person thinks they're so enlightened, uh, they're, they're only confirming, really, what how God was telling an ancient society to act about these things. And the truth is, we ought to, most people should be, will be, and should be deterred by uh, a judgment of a God. judgment or a judgment of God, whichever way it may be. We, we we certainly need to be thinking about that. And when we bring before people's minds, as we try to do on this show, that there is a there is a uh, divine judgment that is coming according to the Bible. At the well, the judgment promote. We worry about the judgment day. The judgment for almost all of us is going to come the day we die. Because the Bible says it's appointed, Hebrews 9, 25, there's, it's appointed a man wants to die, and then comes the judgment for that man. So he's, he's locked in. The picture in, in uh, Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus there that Jesus told is a case where there was a great gulf to fix between the good and the wicked, and that gulf could not be crossed once they were dead. One was locked into torment at his death. The other was locked into blessing and comfort at his death based on their behavior in the life that they had lived previous to that. And and that is Jesus' teaching. That's as clear as a bell what it is. It's very troubling for most people because they don't want the, they don't want that idea. They want second chances now all the time. And they want second or third chances after death. And we got the idea that it, you know, good old boy Johnny had 15 affairs and drank himself to death, and yet he's just going to heaven looking down at his son's football games now from heaven. Well, I'm telling you, my friends, the Bible does Doesn't not teach that at all. Okay? Well, the other aspect of this is... Nor are you hypocrites that go to church every yeah. Sunday and are sinners and fornicators. Well, and the other aspect of this is people object to this because this is punishment for something that I did. I'm not sure that it was in every way, punishment. Basically, God says he's going to dwell with those 
who are of a humble and contrite spirit what, are. What's not punished? What, what is punished? Well, the, basically that hell may not be every aspect of punishment. Basically, I think hell is separation from God. Right. That, it, is, that, it is a punishment. It is but, a punishment, but it's just the fact that if you're an atheist and you don't want to have anything to do with God, he's going to give you exactly what you want. God isn't up in heaven sitting around sadistically thinking of unique ways he can torment people and just to create him sadistic, some kind of sadistic pain. He's going to remove himself from those people's lives, and they're going to figure out, they're going to see real quickly all the blessings that they enjoyed because of God's goodness to them while they were alive and his patience and good with them, and they're going to be left with nothing. And that's the problem. And so it is, a, it is going to feel like a fire, and the worm is not going to die. The worm of desire is not going to die. It will have no way to satisfy its desires. It's a place that, if we have any confidence in God at all, my friends, we need to believe what he says about hell. Jesus talked about it more than anybody else. It is a place that you do not want to go and contemplate going or risk going at all. And you need to take, and the thing is, you don't need to. It's so sad. Ezekiel said to Israel, oh, Israel, why will you die? There's no reason for them to, to be punished by God. They could have enjoyed his blessings. And it would have been good for them. They would have, it would have made their lives better. But people today just insist on all of this debauchery and immorality and greed and envy as if they think that's what's good for people and what's bad for people is living a humble, quiet life of obedience to God. It's astounding. But judgment awaits those who disobey the Lord. Well, I, I just keep going back to the many passages that relate to who does God dwell with and he dwells with those of a humble and contrite heart. Yes, he does. And that means one willing to, to learn and submit one to One willing him. to learn and submit and to his, his, what he's asking us to do. And, and, and then the you find are, the joys of the kingdom. Right. And what God. he's asking us to do is good, good for it's us. It's not grievous, and it's what's, yeah, that's right. It's all designed to be good for us. But it's not what we want. It's not what some people <laughs> want. That's the problem. Yes, they're seeking something they can't even have. Well, Gary, our time is gone today. We appreciate those who have stayed with us through uh, the broadcast and through those who have called to those who have called in and texted in. We're really glad about that. We thank you. Let me give you some information about the show uh, and, and about the church. You can find information about the Church of Christ on Savannah Boulevard at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Not only information about the church, but you'll find recordings of these radio shows going back several years. You'll also find recordings of the sermons all and many subjects that we've talked about here with all kind of Bible references at wearejustchristians.com. We'd invite you to take a look at that uh, this morning or anytime you have a chance and, and look, look there. If you'd like to listen to this show live, not in front of our AM radio, go to the TuneIn radio app, Alexia devices, Google Chrome, and go to wpsl.com and you'll find it. And we'd like to invite you to come and be with us at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie today, 10 and 11 and 730 on Wednesday, 2196 Southwest Savona. Thanks for listening. May God bless you. WPSL, Port St. Lucie.